gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news about the person and the work of Christ is something that not only saves us, it continually saves us and sanctifies us and it infiltrates our life. It is a joy and it is a privilege to be with you this morning and to share with you what God has laid on my heart and has been working in me over these last couple of weeks. So this is to the church body, but I would almost say I feel like I could be preaching the same exact thing if there was a thousand mirrors face back this direction instead of a thousand different individuals. Well, today we're going to take a little break from First and Second Timothy. We're going to take a little break of our study and focus on the church. But as we began our focus on the church through First and Second Timothy and then into Titus, one of the first big ideas that Pastor Nathan laid out in one of the, one of the early sermons in this series, this was the big idea. He said, the, the way we live out Christ matters. The way we live out Christ matters. And it's such a true statement, and I, and I totally, totally agree that it matters and it impacts the church. But let me add this to it, but it also matters and impacts the home. As we veer from our current series on the church and how we are to behave in and as the church, I want to look at the home this morning and how we are to behave there. Let me give you the big idea this morning, and I want you to stay with me after I give you the big idea, okay? I want you to give, I'm going to give the big idea, but stay with me. Here's the big idea this morning. The biggest problem within the home today is a lack of submission. The biggest problem within the home today is a lack of submission. Flip over to Psalms 40, verses 1 through 10. That's where we're going to start this morning. It's a psalm of David, and, and this Psalm 40 gives us a look at David in the midst of trouble, of deep, deep trouble, some kind of trouble. We're not even sure what it is. And this chapter begins to paint a picture for us of the type of submission that I'm talking about this morning. Follow with me as I read Psalm 40, please. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me, and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, and I set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after the lie. You have multiplied, O oh Lord, my God your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell them, and yet, excuse me, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. 
I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. It's a powerful portion of Scripture this morning. The psalmist finds himself in a great, great distress. And in fact, in verse 2, describes this situation, or David describes this situation as being in the pit of destruction and in the miry bog. It, it paints this, this picture, if you can visualize it, of, of just of helplessness, of being trapped, of being unstable in your footing with, with no chance of stability to be found. It is a picture of some great and pressing trouble, something that he was in the midst of. It was something that he was deep in the midst of, and it was something that was about to overwhelm him. And I don't know if any of you have ever felt like that in the home. Personal holiness is tough. Relationships are tough. Living up to expectations are tough. Roles and family dynamics are tough. And whether you are single, married, with kids, without, empty nesters, retired, widowed, there are times of helplessness that you will feel like they are about to consume you and overwhelm you. And if I had to guess, I'm not the only one that has felt that. And David here, he doesn't mention physical, he doesn't mention physical ailment or sickness or things like that that he's mentioned before. And he doesn't, he doesn't mention in here insults from enemies as he's mentioned in other Psalms. So, so this is a little speculation, but it probably was some sort of troubling of mind and of spirit and soul. And it could have been issues of, of sin within his life or guilt within his life, feeling far from God, the pressures of life. It could have been any of those or it could have been all of those. We don't know. But I would have to say sometimes I feel like I'm in that pit of desperation in a miry bog and it's one, two, three, four, all of those situations that I'm wrestling through and processing through in this life. Whatever it was, it was oppressive. And David was helpless to do anything about it. But David understood that while he alone was helpless, he was not without help. And that's how this chapter starts. Look at verse 1. It's a simple declaration here that really sets the foundation for this entire chapter. And it's a declaration that really gives us a look into what David understood and what David knew and what David was expecting. And it's this simple six words, I waited patiently for the Lord. If we were to break that down a little bit, David waited he understood that his timing was not God's timing. I've been a follower of Christ for 42 years. Why can I not understand that my timing is not God's timing? Why do I wrestle with that? Why do I want things done when I want them done? But David waiting, he waited upon the Lord. And when we don't wait, could, wait, could it be because we think we know best? And that is nothing but pride and arrogance and control. 
But David waited, and then he says he waited patiently. It, it, it speaks to this of this wasn't just a brief thing. David waited patiently. There is some length attached to this waiting. Speaks to even God's timing versus his own. But as David waited patiently, we have to remember, you cannot be patient and arrogant and prideful at the same time. Patience is, is quite frankly, the opposite demonstration compared to pride and arrogance. David's patience here indicates a submission to what, or better yet, a submission to who he was waiting for. He was waiting to be rescued, but really what he was waiting for was the Lord. He was waiting for the who. He was waiting patiently. David waited patiently for the Lord. David expected relief from no other than God. This is another error I make as I'm, as I'm anxious about things that are going on, as I might be worried. I look to circumstances. I look to talents or abilities or look to other people, and David had it right. He waited patiently for the Lord. No other, nothing other than the Lord was who David was waiting patiently for. David's humble hope in the Lord was based on his understanding and experience of who God is and what God had shown him over his life. He knew that God is powerful enough to help the weakest and grace enough to help the unworthiest of all his people that trust in him. You see, David's life, he had experienced God. He had understood and he has an understanding of who God is and God's character. And he knew God was powerful enough to help him in his weakest, and he knew he was grace enough to help him in his most unworthy moments. So he waited patiently. And he waited patiently with a, a confident assurance, knowing that it is the Lord who rescues. And in verses one through three, I, I'm just overwhelmed by what the Lord did. In verses one through three, there's, there's six different phrases that, that the Lord did through this to rescue David. And the first thing is, he inclined to me. God leaned in. The word inclined even has the, has the idea of, of bowing toward. Not like God was worshiping David and bowing toward him, but I envision it like God the Father. I envision it like a father with, when a child comes up and it's like, Daddy, 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 Daddy. You know, you know those situations? And you're in the middle of talking or you're in the middle of dealing with something and you're just like, wait, hold on. And the child has no idea if that conversation is going to be 12 seconds or 12 minutes. But he needs to wait patiently. And when that conversation is over or when the timing is right, what does the father do? He inclines toward the child and listens and hears and shows value. He inclined to David. He heard my cry. God compassionately listened. Demonstrates the the person, the personhood, or, or even I would say the personability of God. So personal. 
It says, he drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. He rescued as the only one who can. He set my feet upon a rock. He restored David to a solid foundation. I don't know if any of you have ever been out swimming or out walking through somewhere where you're walking through just clay and mud and the surface beneath you is just totally unstable. And if you're feeling that way in a situation where there's danger or there's a problem and your feet are totally unstable and you're slipping everywhere and there's no security, it is, it is, a, it is a frightening experience. And this is where David says he is. He is in that, that miry bog, that, that inability to escape from what's going on. He has no stability. He's everywhere. His mind and his heart and his soul is everywhere. And he said, it was God who set my feet upon the rock. It was God who did that. And then he says, he making my steps secure. God is where our security is. As David waited for the Lord, understanding there was no other to rescue, we in our humanity, in our frailty, sometimes look to abundance of other things for our security. We look to our talents, gifts, abilities. We look to our wealth. We look to our material things. We look to our identity in whatever else there is. We also look to other people and unfairly put on them the responsibility of our security. Security is found in no one else except Jesus Christ. No one else. And if you put that on someone else, it is so unfair. Your security can only be found in the foundation of Jesus. And then it says he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to the Lord. It was God who gave the occasion for fresh praise. This wasn't David accomplished something, so now I'm going to praise the Lord. This was God acting, God working, who God is, and the understanding of who God is that gave David a new and fresh opportunity for praise. He put the song of praise in my mouth. And sometimes we lose sight of that, and we praise God when things are going good, and we praise God when things are well at the home and at work or with our family or the circumstances are right. And, so, and we all oh, praise God. This, just, this great thing else happened based on what? Is it based on our talents, the things that we're doing? It is God who puts the new occasion for fresh praise. And David understood that, and his perspective was right. In verses 1 through C, we see David is rescued by God. But, but an important note here at the end of verse 3, I love this phrase. It says, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Many will see what he has done. Many will see. Many will see what God has done. They will put their trust in the Lord. David was rescued by God, but for whose glory? For whose glory was he rescued? It was not for David's comfort or ease or his kingdom or for his leadership or, or to demonstrate anything except for God's glory. But see, when we make God's rescuing about us, that's why we get impatient. That's where our pride kicks in. 
That's where our arrogance kicks in and our control kicks in because we want our ease, our comfort. But maybe God had us, has us walking through things so that in his timing, he can get the glory he deserves. So how was David rescued? The pit and this miry bog that's described, are, are, it's imagery. The pit, the miry bog, they were not real, but David's feelings and his despair were quite real. So there wasn't a physical rescue out of the pit, or another way to say that is, David's circumstances did not change that we can see. So how was he rescued? In some way, David was ministered to by the Lord. God leaned in. God heard his cry. And quite frankly, David was reminded of the God that he served. And we serve a God that hears us. We serve a God that loves us. We serve a God that comforts us. We serve a God who gives us peace that is indescribable as we go through the very deep pits of life at times. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have been given the Holy Spirit to indwell us. And, and in fact, Jesus Christ himself called the Holy Spirit the comforter who ministers to us, who brings scripture to our mind, who, who guides us and, and who directs us and who comforts us. There is no mention here that David's circumstances changed, but we see a very different David in verses four and five. In verses four and five of this chapter, we see a very different David than the one described in one and two. In verse four, we see a David of, that, that, of giving of praise and of thanks to the Lord. In verse four, we see a David talking about being blessed as he places his trust in God alone and not in anything else. That's what it's referring to. It says, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. That's talking about seeking God alone and not turning away to the false religions or the false idols that were being presented all around him. And it makes me think here of like, what idols do I have in my life? No, maybe not the little idols I'm worshiping, but the idols that I've let come into my life that I've gotten God off of the throne in my life, that he's the main focus, the only focus of my life, and things that I've made idols of. David here is talking and giving praise and talking about the blessings of placing his trust in God alone. In verse 5, David is recounting the things of the Lord. And I love this phrase in verse 5 when he says, You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. Do you see the personal relationship that David has with his God? David is also moving from inward focus of his helplessness to an outward focus of the wondrous things of the Lord. Personally, I think one of the greatest things that we can do when going through hardships and going through difficulties is set our minds and to recall and recount the wondrous things that God has done in our life. We are, I am a selfish person. And we forget quickly the wondrous things that the Lord has done for us. And our problems are magnified in our eyes and our problems are overwhelming in our eyes and our problems are just seem so much. 
quite frankly, until we hold them against the light of who God is. This is what David is doing. He's moving from this inward focus of helplessness to focus outwardly on the wondrous things of the Lord. And then David is going from helpless to helpful by his proclaiming and telling of all of who God is and what he does. It's one of the greatest reminders of what God has done for us as we proclaim it and tell it to others. As we retell the stories of God's blessing and care and comfort and help in our lives. And I don't know where all of you stand this morning. Maybe you came in today feeling helpless. Maybe you came in this morning feeling overwhelmed, anxious, in despair, or maybe just spiritually blah. In verses four and five, we see the, the very resources, the very resources that, that, that rescued David are available to us today. We serve a God that is immutable, means he never changes, and the God that was there ministering to David is the same God today. And he is always compassionate, and he's always comforting, and he's always good and righteous and just and holy, and he is always sovereign, and he is always with us, and he will never forsake us. And, and he is so much more than all of that that in chapter, or verse 5, David says this, I proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. We could spend the rest of our lives talking about the goodness and greatness of God and all of he has done and his thoughts and his deeds, and we will not even begin to touch the goodness and greatness of God and who he is. As those loved by God and as those that are followers of Jesus, as those indwelt by the Holy Spirit, there will be times that we may feel helpless. But we must know that we are never hopeless. You may feel helpless, but you have to know and understand that when we place our, place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and because we worship the sovereign, almighty, holy, good, and righteous God, we are never without hope. In verses 6 through 10, we see David move to a response to God. He, is, he has been rescued by God. He, he has recounted these, these resources of God, and now we look at his response. And in verses 6 through 8, David, in verse 6, he's not negating the command of the sacrificial system. But what he is doing is emphasizing the right heart attitude behind offering the sacrifices to the Lord. Listen, God does not want our sacrifice, our offerings, our check-the-box obligations without a right heart of submissive obedience. We see this clearly in 1 Samuel chapter 15 when Samuel is addressing King Saul. And Saul was given very specific orders by the Lord that Saul mostly carried out. And there's the key word, mostly or partial obedience. And as a dad, I used to tell my kids, partial obedience is disobedience. He partially obeyed the word of the Lord, giving excuse after excuse. And one of those excuses was so that he could bring sacrifices to God. And as Saul is giving these excuses after excuses, Samuel in first chapter 15 was just like, stop. Enough. 
And some of you that maybe have parents or maybe you were on the receiving end of this is like when you're confronted with something, you're giving an excuse and excuse and excuse. And finally the parent or the authority is just like, stop, you're only making it worse. Stop talking, do yourself a favor. And in verse 22 of 1 Samuel 15, Samuel says this to Saul. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen better than the fat of rams. Samuel is saying to Saul, your obedience and submission to the word of the Lord is what God wants. He doesn't need or desire anything from you except your willing obedience. Then there's an interesting phrase within verse 6. It says in verse 6, but you have given me an open ear. And this is an emphasis of obedience, of dedication and submission to the things that you have heard from the Word of God. He has given us ears to hear His Word. And as we hear His Word, do we obey? As we hear His Word and understand His Word, do we dedicate our lives to it? And as we, as we hear His Word, do we, do we submit our desires to His desires? Or do we partially obey? And do we do what we think is best? Well, David was saying that he is obeying. He is submitting. He is desiring to live in the will of the Father in submission. And there's this wonderful passage in verse 7 and 8 that is reemphasizing the willful submission to the word of the Lord, to the laws of God, and, and to the will of the Father. And you, you see, stay with me on this one. You see, you have David here, the psalmist, and I'm gonna, he is described as the lesser David. That's the psalmist. That's the king of Israel. That's the one stated in here that, that was that writing this. The lesser David. And he is stating here that in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, it's what he desires. And in Deuteronomy chapter 17, it's Moses writing and foretelling of the children of Israel desiring to have a king. And he gives some charges to what that king should be about and what he should do and what he should be focused on that it may go well with him. And let me read verses 18 through 20 of Deuteronomy 17. Because I believe this is where David is saying, this is, this is what I'm desiring to do. Verse 18 of Deuteronomy 17. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of his law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. And church, what we have seen as we have read through the, uh, the Old Testament these last nine months or so is how many kings turned from the word of God? How many kings turned and did their own things that they did not submit to God? And what did we see? Devastation upon devastation upon devastation following their disobedience and walking away from the things of the Lord. David, the lesser David, desired to submit to the will of God, desired to do these things, but he didn't always get it right. 
but his heart was to live in submission to the Father. And even in David's life, we saw devastation followed when he disobeyed the word of the Lord. However, there is a greater David, which is Jesus. And we see passages in the New Testament in John 5 and Luke 24 referring and, and that refer to this Old Testament passage to Christ. And we, we see the greater David always getting it right. And we see the greater David getting it right as he came as the Messiah. As he came in the, as the Messiah in complete and willful submission to the will of the Father. And he came to be the last and the greatest sacrifice as only he could be because a perfect sacrifice was required. And he was the perfect sacrifice to eternally and completely satisfy the wrath of the Father. And the wrath of the Father stemming from his holiness being violated as we have all sinned against him. You see, it was the obedience and submission of the greater David to the will of the Father that has paid the price of sin and death for all of us. And David in verses 9 and 10 recognizes that it is nothing of his own doing, that he can be rescued. It is only by the righteousness and grace of God. You see, in verse 9, it says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. This, this, this word for glad news in, in Hebrew is the precursor of the New Testament terminology for the gospel, the good news. The word translated deliverance here is the word also for righteousness. And we see in verse 10, this good news of righteousness is attributed to God himself. It's God's righteousness that is our deliverance. The glad news of deliverance could not be restrained within David. The good news of the righteousness of God could not be kept from David, speaking it, showing it, living it out, proclaiming it, focusing on it. Every aspect of David's life was impacted by the good news. And it made me think, is every aspect of my life shaped and impacted by the good news, the gospel? There's a great book called Gospel Fluency that has really challenged me in this area of letting the gospel impact every area of your life. Well, that was the introduction. So now getting back to the big idea of today. The biggest problem within the home today is a lack of submission. And I believe that is what we have done and shown today by starting, when we started this message, talking about going to look at how we behave within the home. Because if you miss the aspect of submission to God and understanding who God is, you cannot be what you need to be within the home. When I think of home life, my mind automatically goes to Ephesians 4, chapter 4 through 6, book of Ephesians. Some of you have heard me speak on that. But when we think of how to behave, a lot of our time goes to, again, this give me a checklist to follow. But that is not, that is not what God desires of us. Ephesians 4.1 sets the tone for how we are to behave. And this is what he says. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. There, there's a word therefore in that verse one. So you have to look back. And in chapters one through three, 
Paul is establishing we need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called and because of what's been established in chapters one through three. And in chapters one through three, they, they are just stuffed full of doctrine, of great biblical principles, and a great truth about our position in Christ. So from chapter 4, verse 1, to the end of chapter 6, it it is this challenge of, of doing our faith, living out our faith, practicing the principles, and, and behaving to match our position in Christ. Remember how we behave matters, church, but why we behave the way we do also must matter. We only behave well when we behave out of submission to the Word and to the will of God. Four very brief things in closing here this morning. So how are we to behave in the home? Ephesians 5.21 says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Every spirit-filled believer is to be submissive and humble. Every spirit-filled believer needs to have his or her reverence for God as the basis of that submission to other believers. Submitting to one another, the one another's are other believers. We are to submit to one another. Let me ask you this about your home. Do you ever look at those within your home as fellow believers first? Sometimes we take those within our home for granted and we actually would never treat them as we treat other believers here at church. I'm not sure why that is. Those are the people that we're supposed to love quite frankly, way more than how we love each other. But within the home, do we look at one another as followers of Christ first? Whether in the family of God, the church body, or in the home family, we are to submit to one another. Why? Because we are submitting to the Lord. The second thing is Ephesians 5.22. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Couple things here. One, it says, to your own husbands, wives, to your own husbands submit. This is not a command for women to submit to men. Secondly, wives, wives, submit to your husband. Why? Because your supreme submission is to God first. That's what that stems out of. Submission to your husband is shown in willingness just as our submission to God just uh, is, is never, never forced by God. It is out of a willingness. And that is how to be submission within marriage should be. Never forced, but a willingness. But it starts, and the reason why is out of that supreme submission to the Father. Thirdly, Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The, the husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church. So you have to say, how did Christ love the church? He loved the church in an unreserved, selfless, sacrificial love looking for nothing in return. Christ sacrificed everything out of submission to the will of the Father. Remember what Christ said in the garden right before his death. Not my will be done, but yours. Total submission to the Father. And if we husbands are going to love our wives as Christ loved the church, 
It must start with total submission to the Father. Lastly is Ephesians 6.1, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. As a child, as a teen, obeys parents as if they are obeying the Lord. That is the command here. Obedience to parents stems out of submission to God. And I know what some of you might be thinking. You don't know my situation. And you're right, I don't. But I will say there, are, there will always be difficult people. And there will always be difficult husbands. And there will always be difficult wives. And there will always be difficult children and parents. But the issue ultimately boils down to our submission to God. Every member of the family modeling submission to God by how they live out their role within the home, how would that not radically change the dynamic and the culture and the behavior within the home? But so many times we fall to the enemy of submission. And the enemy of submission, as I see it, is pride, selfishness, and control. And all three of those things do not demonstrate anything at all that should be characterized by a mature and growing believer. And unlike David in Psalms 40, when we demonstrate pride and selfishness and control, we don't see God for who he is. We don't wait patiently and trust in an almighty sovereign God, and we consistently take things into our own control because of our pride and our selfishness. And nothing good results out of acting out of pride, selfishness, or our own control. Well, in closing, I want to read something I shared with the staff on Thursday morning. It is Jonathan Edwards' resolution number 63. And, and for those of you who don't know, if you want to look them up, he wrote 70 resolutions at the age of 19 concern, concerning how he wanted to live his life. And they, they really are, quite frankly, incredibly challenging and convicting. And here is resolution number 63. On the supposition that there never was to be but one individual in the world at any one time who was properly a complete Christian. In all respects of a right stamp, having Christianity always shining in its true luster and appearing excellent and lovely from whatever part and under whatever character viewed, resolved to act just as I would do if I strove with all my might to be that one who should live in my time. What would your behavior look like if you strove to live out that resolution? Not your neighbor, not your husband, not your wife, not your parents, you strove to do that. And here's what it would start with. It would start with total submission to the word and the will of God. For there could be no way to be a complete Christian without that complete submission. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for including in Scripture the struggles at times of the men and women in Scripture that wrote the Scriptures through the guidance of your Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for including the struggles so that we can see how you rescue. Lord, thank you how that we can see who you are May we be in awe of who you are far more than being in awe of anything 
else. May we let the gospel infiltrate our lives and change our lives every day. Lord, may we, each of us individually, strive to submit to you in all that we do, in all that you say. May we wait wait patiently for you as you are the only one who can rescue us. We commit this all to you, Father, and we ask this in your Son's precious name. Amen.